Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This episode is about the value and the benefit of the living word. And scripture is frankly something I have treated like a diet, something I've done because I know that I should, but I long to do better. And I have had a few glimpses of true hope. One of them came when I was asked to write about a piece of scripture that confounded me. In the story, I didn't recognize Jesus at all, but I really, really wanted to. So I did something that I had never done before. I meditated with the story. I sat with it for an entire day on and off. And I imagined myself as every character. And when it finally came time to write, instead of writing an exhortation, like I usually did, I wrote a fictional reimagining instead. And there are a few times that I have ever felt closer to God. My other glimpse of hope regarding scripture, how I know the Lord has more for me, is Meredith Perryman. Because every single time she talks on this topic, I end up writing stuff down and inevitably go home to open up my Bible. In this episode, you will hear from both of my glimpses of hope. First, the story that I wrote about the Canaanite woman. I hadn't slept well in years. My daughter's on-again, off-again illness made sleep fitful, if not because of illness, then because of anticipation of illness. The women in my village frequently brought their leftovers. They placed their hands in mine, and as we sat knee to knee and with tears in their eyes, they told me that they did not know how I lived the life that I lived. Plainly, I don't know how I lived the life that I lived. I tended to my daughter because if I didn't, who would? My daughter was the real hero. Me? I just gathered the stones she used to hurl at her Goliath. I supplied her with the weapons that she needed to do battle every day. I would have liked to have taken her pain in my hands and helped her make sense of it. Without that option, I placed stones into her hands and I strengthened her while she took aim. The ladies in my village woke up thinking of me. I woke up thinking of my daughter. And my daughter woke up thinking of her Goliath. Did we live in fear? Yes. We had a fearsome foe. Did I blame myself for the lack of healing? Yes. What kind of mother can't take the pain away? Did we persist when it didn't seem possible? Tell me, what other choice did we have? The day the fevers worsened, my cousin came running up our sandy path. I was in the middle of rinsing yet another set of linens, and I heard my cousin before I saw him, his hastened footsteps pounding the dirt, stirring up the dust, and I knew right away by the purpose in his pace that this was a serious visit, different than his weekly visits for afternoon tea and dropping off his extra dates, almost the only thing we could reliably get my daughter to eat. When he was in earshot, he called my name and he ran the last bit until he was at my knee, bent over in a huff. If I was in a mood to smile, I would have. My cousin is a heavy-set man with no business sprinting, and I couldn't help but find his heaves humorous. I waited for him to speak, half intrigued, half bothered. I had many chores untended to. My daughter and I used to happily work alongside each other, but now I completed the household duties alone. 
I shook my head and I went back to my laundry and I hoped that he would be quick. Cousin, he gasped, bent over his hands above his knees. I need, I need to tell you something. My cousin had theatrical tendencies. While I usually found him entertaining, this day I was at the end of my rope, so I decided to let his heart rate return to normal before I told him that I didn't get one hour of sleep last night and that today felt particularly hopeless and I didn't have extra reserve for all of his drollery. Finally, he stood up and collected himself. I drew a deep breath and I started my rehearsed cautioning, but it was too late. He was already two sentences in, expending as much energy as he did to get up our hill to tell me about some trip that he had just taken to Palestine. I interrupted him to say that I didn't have time to listen to his latest travel adventures. Maybe some other day, I said, because I can't right now. And I could feel the tears forming hot behind my eyes. I have more healers to visit. I have more spices to collect. I have more tears to shed. I have more daughters to ruin. I can't do this right now, I yelled. And I fell into a heap right there in the dirt underneath my baby's linens. And I let my grief go as loud as I had been wanting to. I laid there unconcerned with who might be watching or what they might be thinking. My cousin gave me about 30 seconds of space and then his voice was soft in my ear. Cousin, he said, I know. It's why I'm here. Sister, please, please listen. There's a man who can help us, sister. In Palestine, I saw him. Some men from my village, we traveled to go hear him. And you've heard the stories too, but sister, I saw it. He's different than anything we've ever seen. He's not a smooth-talking philosopher, and he doesn't hate us. I know what you're thinking, but please, please, just listen. We were were there in masses, and it was this mishmash of profane and sacred, all of us in one place, and I can't explain it. But all of it, all the anomalies, he was everything, sister, to everyone, strong but meek, kind but severe, confusing to people who didn't wish to believe, and yet making it so simple for those of us who did. He told stories, sister, and when he did, he looked right through me. I sat up angry. I knew the man he spoke of. I cursed at myself for hoping that my cousin actually had something to tell me. You have to leave now, I said. I got to my feet and I pressed the heels of my hands into my eyes and I brushed the dirt from my robe. No, no, please, I'm not finished, he begged. No longer trying to be polite, I yelled at him. They hate us. I know this Jesus you speak of. He's not here for us. How could you be so foolish? Utterly annihilate them, it says. We're not just Gentiles, cousin. We are Canaanites. We are Canaanites. Please leave now. My daughter, hearing the commotion, had stumbled our direction. I didn't know what she had heard, but I didn't want her to hear anymore. Go, I said again to my cousin, my voice a growl. My cousin took me by the shoulders. Sister he said. I went to hear him because I was curious. But there were people, there were people who went there to be healed and they were. He touched them and unclean spirits came out. People gathered around him just to be near him. Power was coming out. Sister, we could feel it. And he healed them all, anyone who asked. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it, sister. My daughter leaned her burning body against my leg, and I put my face in my hands, and I wept. Sister, please look at me. I lifted my eyes. I come here week after week, and I watch you suffer. And I suffer because I can't help you. And week after week, you watch her suffer. And you suffer because you can't help her. Please, sister, 
I know someone who can help her. Do you think I am here to be cruel? Do you think that I would say these things right in front of her if I didn't know them to be true? I love you. I love her. You have to go to him. He crouched down to my daughter's eye level and traced her brow, brushing the hair out of her face. Annoyed with the hope that I felt in my heart, I pointed out the obvious. I am a pagan. I am a descendant of enemies. And I have no claim on the covenant. Rising and meeting my gaze and my conviction, he steadily asked me, do you believe me or not? I do believe you. I could barely eke out the words. Then go. I know where he is. And you don't have to travel far, but he's in hiding. He said that rushing out the last part, hoping to slither it past me. I placed my hands on my hips in exasperation. He dismissed my disapproval and waved his hand. He's here for rest to teach his disciples. It's fine. I know the house. Go to him. Ask him for healing. I measured him coolly. Sister, he said, what other options do you have? My daughter slipped her hot hand in mine, and I realized I had none. I set out the next morning. The house, it wasn't even hard to find. I mean, you could hear them from a quarter mile away. I don't know how they expected to do any significant kind of hiding with a ruckus like that. I heard a voice from inside yell Jesus' name with a boisterous laugh, so I sprinted the last stretch, fully realizing how it must look to see a middle-aged lady like me going at her top speed. Without bashfulness, I hiked up my robe around my thighs and ran faster. During my travels, my resolve had strengthened. Optimism, as sure as a promise, had snuck into my heart. I didn't feel I had one second to waste. I understood Jesus had no obligation to me. Responding to me was not his immediate mission, and nor was it his larger one. I was not a disciple. I wasn't a Jew. But I believed, and I was there to gather one last stone for my baby. So I caught my breath, and I called his name, and I begged like any mother would. Lord, I shrieked, son of David. I paced the perimeter of the house, speaking of my daughter, screaming her name, screaming the name of the Lord, until finally a burly man with curly black hair surprised me, blocking my path. Standing like an armed guard, his hands on his hips, his barrel chest out, he said emotionlessly, listen, I'm sorry about your daughter, but we're trying to get rest and it keeps getting interrupted, first in the desert, then in Gennesaret, and now this, this isn't what we're here for, okay? You aren't who he's here for. You understand that, right? I do, I said with measure, straightening the skirt of my robe. I looked at my feet while he walked back inside. I dared not fault him for his annoyance with me. Before my daughter's illness, I couldn't meet other people's pain either. Despite his scolding, I vowed to yell until sunset. He seemed irritated, not dangerous. And with my daughter being cared for by a neighbor, I had all day to hope outside that house. I could hear the disciples inside pressing Jesus. This is exactly what we were trying to avoid. Send her on her way. But the same resolve that made me raise my skirt and run faster was the same resolve that made me get comfortable with my back against the house and just keep yelling. And then I heard Jesus speak. I knew it was him by the way that they quieted down. And with something in his voice that I cannot name, was it guidance? Challenge? merriment? He said with deliberate words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he waited. 
I sprung to my feet, thinking that standing would heighten my hearing. I swear I could feel the rays of his eyebrows, the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that wasn't me, but something promising was happening I couldn't fully absorb. And I was straining to hear, my ear as close to the house as physically possible, when the black-haired man appeared again and startled me so that I took three steps back and tripped over my robe and fell. He walked toward me, shaking his head, and helped me up without eye contact, and began to lead me inside. Once I realized what he was doing, he was letting me in. I tried to remember what Jesus had said. What were the words that had caused this gruff man to extend me some mercy? I spent a second trying to care, and then I just bolted past him, beating him to the door, knowing that this was my chance. I ran inside, and I scanned the room. I easily picked out Jesus, and I crawled to his feet on my hands and knees, and I wrapped myself around his ankles, and I begged, Lord, help me. When I said, Lord, help me, the black-haired man filling the door frame stopped in his tracks and locked eyes with his Lord. They exchanged something only they seemed to know. The rest of the disciples watched us from under their eyebrows, their arms folded across their chests. Jesus smiled at them rascally, the corners of his mouth turned up, his eyes knowing and gleeful. Was he keeping a secret? Was he hiding a gift? Was there an inside joke that I wasn't privy to? Ordinarily, I would have searched the room for clues, owl-eyed, but in this moment, I was only alert to Jesus. He turned his full attention towards me, and then he took my hand and he led me to my feet. He sat me down beside him and he turned his knees towards mine. He gripped my hand tighter and then he changed his smile from them to me, softening his eyes so the corners fell into their familiar lines. He had done this many times before. The lines only proved it. He leaned in close and he said tenderly, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And when he said children, he gestured to the other men in the room. And when he said dog, he nodded towards me. I mean, I was asking for my daughter to be healed. Jesus had spent a fair amount of time ignoring my requests. And now he had likened me to a dog. I realized the scandal. Except I didn't feel scandalized. Maybe it helped that I didn't go there to be flattered. I went there to be saved from my hell on earth. And between my cousin's account and this gentle man's demeanor and my desperation, I only felt expectant. And as I looked at Jesus and imagined this scene, taking bread from children and then tossing it to the tumbling, bumbling puppies underfoot, I felt endeared. He was describing a scene from my childhood as a Greek, certainly not a scene from his childhood as a Jew. He was speaking my language and the nostalgia that he conjured in me a beloved little dog, pulling his robe, refusing to be ignored, begging for scraps. Well, it all sounded about right. I leaned in also, and with an earnest smile and the slightest cheeky lilt, I challenged him. But Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, no? No. I don't know if it was accepting his metaphor. I don't know if it was going back and forth with him. I don't know if it was believing that his leftovers were plenty enough for me. But with deep affection, he scooped me up and he commended my faith. Placing my head on his chest, he smiled over his shoulder the direction of his disciples. And then with his hands on my shoulders, he extended his arms to look me in the eye. Without words, I told him that I knew who I was. I was a beggar in desperate need. And in his eyes, he told me who he was, 
a compassionate savior with every answer to any pain. And I knew right then that my daughter had been healed. In my very own body, I felt her fever leave. After years of grit through endurance, I had called my suffering what it was. I had a good old-fashioned temper tantrum. I walked a road of repentance. I sought out a Savior. I called him Lord, and I threw myself at his feet. This, our very last stone. At sunset, the last orange rays that look like blood spill over the horizon, and my daughter and I take the linens off the line. My cousin sits nearby watching us while eating a pouch of dates. And I recount more details of my interaction with Jesus because even though I've been back for three weeks, none of us can get enough. My cousin, in his theatrical way, nods enthusiastically with a mouthful of dates that he tried to tell me that Jesus was more concerned with matters of the heart than he was with ethnic boundaries. Welcoming outsiders, he mumbled as he chewed on dates, is what he's all about. Just then, we notice a burly figure kicking up sand approaching our home. I know immediately who it is. He approaches meekly, cautiously, and introduces himself, extending his hand to my cousin and then lowering his head in my daughter's direction. Keeping my back to him, I fold the last linen and I say casually, hey there, I'd offer you some water, but trying to get ahead with these linens, I keep getting interrupted. I'm sure you understand, right? I look over my shoulder and I smile slyly, hoping he accepts my drollery. He ducks his head and nods with a sheepish smile. My cousin offers him a seat and a handful of dates. Peter accepts both. That's actually why I'm here, he says. I'd like to explain. It's okay, I tell him. I have everything I need and more. With the last linen folded, my daughter catches my eye to ask with a jerk of her head the direction of her friend's house if she can be excused. I nod and she bounces next door. The three of us watch her trail away. Peter's voice calls us back. Yes, but there are a few things that I'd like for you to know, he says. I fill up a cup with water and I hand it to him and pull up a chair. The crowds, the need, the disease, he says. Our work with him is, it's overwhelming. And if I'm telling the truth, it's scary. The crowds, they push in, they grab and demand, and we walk around feeling overcome much of the time. But he never says no. He heals them all. I understand, I interrupt. You don't need to, no, wait, please. I want to finish, he says. The day that you came, we committed to rest. Finally. And then there you were, yelling no less. We were exasperated that even in another country, we couldn't get away from people who needed him. Everyone needed him. We had asked Jesus to send people away before. I mean, that wasn't unique. Compassion isn't always our strong suit. But when you showed up, Jesus was silent. He got quiet in his rabbi way, which means we're supposed to ask the right questions. And we're obedient, but every time we try not to roll our eyes. Some of us are better than others. But he taught us through you that day, and you let him. You were patient as he connected the dots for us, and we were amazed by you. We're always fighting amongst ourselves, he says, shaking his head. We're always trying to decide who's better. We're obnoxious, really. But you... You accepted a lesser status just to be included in the circle. You accepted a position as a dog under the table. Well, it's better than a lost sheep, no? I ask with a smile. Together we chuckle. I know you remember the exchange as well as I do, he continues. But I don't know if you know that in one meaningful moment, we watched Jesus heal your daughter 
Minister to us. Minister to you. Deliver a promise. Avoid the spotlight and save the whole world. I hang on his every word, speechless myself. So I want you to know your words, your faith, your humility, your desperate plea. Lord, help me. You changed me. Brother, I'm honored. You didn't have to make this trip to build my faith. And yet, how might I pray for you, Peter? If ever again I find myself lost at sea, sister, will you please, will you please pray for your words, Lord, help me to spring from my mouth, but also for your faith to spring from my heart. From the book of Proverbs, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is always on her tongue. This is my friend Meredith. Meredith is eager to listen, willing to share, quick to laugh. She tells the truth and she expects it in return, but above all, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. We have been best friends since we were eight. We're both only children, and it's more than a sisterhood because there is no sibling rivalry. We call each other Beefy. Those of you that have listened to previous seasons, Beefy had her own little segment, and then having multiple components of the show just got laborsome. Is that the word? Laborsome? Mm-hmm. It should be, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and so we just kind of ditched that plan, and now we're just doing simple interviews. But um, And so... Beefy's going to kind of co-host with me today, which is so fun. Woohoo! I'm so glad to be back. And then our guest of honor is Meredith Perryman. We are new friends, but we are fast friends. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so, so grateful for who you are in my life. Um, I met you for the first time at UR, and you were speaking to, I I don't know, 2,000 people, and you were doing it with such ease and such kind authority Mm. That I had absolutely had to find you afterwards, and yeah. I feel like authority isn't always kind, and kindness isn't always authoritative. Mm. Um, but you were doing both; like you were holding both with such confidence while speaking to such a large group that I was mesmerized. Like oh, <laughs> I just, I simply had Thank to get to know that. you because there was a way about you mm. that made me want to be your friend. And and of course, like you're on stage spouting brilliance, so there's that too. I mean, that was definitely part of it because. I went home and I think I texted you this, but, or like Facebook messaged you because mm-hmm. we didn't have each other's numbers yet, but that I had opened my Bible with a new intention that was yeah, beyond that. anything yeah. than obligation, wow. you know? And so, and I couldn't even remember the last time that that had happened in my life, but, um, but more so more than the brilliance that you were spouting again, like there was just a way about you that let me know. Um, I didn't want to just learn from you. I wanted to befriend you. Mm. And then as God would have it, (laughs) the Lord agreed Um, because not much time after that, our paths crossed again and we have just been heart deep in racial rectification work together. And now we're in touch really, is it almost every day? I think it might be. Well, I know if a day goes by and I haven't talked to you, I feel like, oh, that's weird. What's Allison doing? (laughs) Right. And so I just couldn't be happier about Mm -hmm. any of that. Welcome to the show, oh, Meredith Perryman, you. finally. Thank you. I feel the same way about you, Allison. What a gift oh, to know you. So grateful. Okay, so will you tell the dear listener um, what you were talking about that day at UR? Because you have such a passion for scripture mm. that is absolutely contagious. And I feel like that's not an easily catchable affliction, disease. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will. You know, it's funny. But you're absolutely right. I am very, very passionate about the Word of God. And I'm passionate about it because of hardship in my life mm-hmm. and because of something that I had to learn. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was young, I grew up in the church. And I think I could sing all the books of the Bible before I could even read. Mm-hmm. And I knew all the stories um, that were in the Word. But when I went off to college... I just had the, a, a time of darkness in my life. And mm. I remember looking back, I am shocked that during that time, not once did I think, let me turn to the Word of God and see where I can find comfort in this. Mm. Or let me pray and ask God to help me. I really felt like at that moment, a book of stories about a man in a boat is mm. absolutely not, you know, just talking about Noah. You know, all the different right. stories. You know, right. what are these stories? How do they help me? And how are they relevant to what I'm going through? Because yeah. all the Bible was were stories to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't understand the truth that you find in God's Word. So I'm hearing desperation. Yeah. And I feel like in some moments of desperation is when God can best showcase His work. Mm-hmm. I think there's some saying, and I don't, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's like, you can't realize that God is the only thing you need until he's the only thing you have. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, but it, I mean, it took me a long time to learn that because I, that time, my freshman year in college, it ended up being a seven year walk of disobedience where I turned away from him and honestly didn't want to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. I was so hurt. I felt betrayed mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. him and felt rejected in all of these feelings. And it just so happened that there was a time when I decided, a friend and I, that we would go out together. We were decided we were getting old in age and we needed to find some guys and bars were not working. Mm. So let's go to the church that has the largest largest singles ministry in Houston mm. and let's attend. So we attended one morning <laughs> after going out that God night. doesn't care what gets exactly. you there. I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. And this is how beautiful that is too because we were standing on the staircase in this church and no kidding, they had to have had about 10 singles classes, each ranging from 50 to 300 members. So we were looking oh, at wow. the description of the classes wondering, which class do we go to? Yeah. And then this really, really cute guy walked by and we went, oh, decision made. So we just followed him oh my into <laughs> a Sunday school class. That is fantastic. And it was then that, you know those moments where everything fades and you realize, oh, God has business with me. Mm. I didn't know it was God, but everything faded and every word that she spoke in her mouth, from her mouth, spoke straight to my heart. Mm. And I went yeah. home that day. Had your undivided attention. And I just fell on the carpet in my apartment where I was living alone and just wept and said, I am so tired of having the strength in myself. I'm so tired mm. of doing life on my own. I don't have a choice. I am desperate. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a shot. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so that was really the beginning of my walk back with the Lord. And so shortly after that, I began actually reading the Bible aside from Sunday school stories and began gathering with other women reading the, reading it. And I was shocked at what was in it. And, um, and the more I dug and the more I read it, I realized it's not just relevant to my life that the word is life. Mm-hmm. And so it just radically transformed me. And so I think back to what if 18 year old Meredith 
knew the promises of God? What if eight-year-old Meredith, when she feels rejected, could come to the places where God says, I have chosen you by name, where I knit you together in your mother's wombs. All of your days were ordained before one of them came to be. What if she would have known that? What if the mm -hmm. Meredith that didn't feel worthy of love could talk about the fullness of God's love? I mean, what mm -hmm. if? So that's what ignited a passion that I have for everyone to know the Word of God mm -hmm. because it absolutely has everything you need in it for life in each and every circumstance. Yeah, gosh. So. That's really good. So first of all, I want to clarify, not that I've been thinking about this the whole time you've been talking because I've been hanging yes. on your work, but I think it is an absolutely holy desire to go to church to find a good man. So I'm, oh, I'm joking yes. about that. But so, And oh. I did find my husband there. <laughs> nice. Nice. a bonus. Nice. <laughs> so faithful. Um, so, but you mentioned... I, and maybe this was when you were 18 or young adulthood, whatever, but you mentioned, a, um, you didn't say these words, but or this word, but a sense of like entitlement. Like I'm angry. I'm angry yes. that things have been hard. And yes. so I think another um, perhaps benefit of getting deep into the word is realizing there are really holy people that struggle. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> because Absolutely. It, I feel like entitlement for me can come from this place of I'm a good person. Right. You know, right. like, so I've given this and therefore I'm owed this. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. we can look at our Savior, Jesus Christ, God walking this earth, leaving the glories of heaven to get his hands dirty and his heart broken, who absolutely struggled. You know, it's just, even walking with the Lord does not mean that you're free of pain and struggle. We all know that. Mm -hmm. And so just when I say recently, I'm thinking about six years ago, I walked through a huge time of rejection again and that's my trigger rejection is a tr trigger for me mm -hmm. and even in that moment I mean God always has something to teach you and no matter what you go through you know that who he's going to be for you in that moment just takes you in a deeper relationship with him and so it dawned on me after finally emerging from what I can dramatically call a, a night of darkness um that Jesus experienced rejection. Mm -hmm. It says that mm -hmm. right out in Isaiah 53. And so I'm wanting to ask God, God, why would you let me experience rejection? Or and, and like what I thought when I went to college, I've done everything right. I mean, I did everything right growing yeah, up right. to the age of 18. So right. why would I go to college and hurt? And I think you finally realize that God never says it's going to be a pain, mm -hmm. you know, pain-free life, but he's going to say he's going to be there with you. Mm -hmm. And not only be there with you, but we have Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who has gone through absolutely everything that we've gone through so we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and grace and confidence and know that we are going to find grace and mercy in our time of need. And he is not one who is who doesn't know our weaknesses, but he knows all of them, for he is tempted in every way, but knew no sin. So therefore, he can be our high priest, and he can speak to every need and everything we experience. So if I'm going through that feeling of feeling re rejected, I should turn to him because if anyone knows what that's like, he does, and he can minister to us. In fact, he lives to intercede on our behalf. That is what he does. He intercedes mm -hmm. for us, and how beautiful, how beautiful that is. So as you effortlessly weave scripture into your normal <laughs> speech. I think a lie of an enemy would want to try to whisper into the ears of the women listening to you. It's just easy for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that like we can listen to a teaching and we can go, 
well, the reason you know scripture so well is there's some sort of, there's something about you that, you know, that God favors or and this is actually something that is open and accessible and a yes. gift to us all. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your process? Because I think as I give you time to kind of think about that for a second, I think as Christians, we have a tendency to revere the Bible, but we don't necessarily read it. It's like we expect that I have made this decision. I have given you, God, my yes. And so now through osmosis, I want you to impart all of your goodness onto me. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a really powerful aspect of that by inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. This comes with some intention, right? I mean, Bible literacy is going to require our time and attention. Absolutely. And you know... um, I do hear people a lot say that knowing the word, you have to be an intellectual or you have to be a scholar. Mm. And the truth is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then the best teacher dwells within you. All of us have the Holy Spirit, and that is all we need. You know, I mean, pastors, um, teachers, they all have their place and they all work toward the kingdom, but we are equipped with the best teacher. So every single person who believes in Christ and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells has the only thing that they need for scripture to come alive. Mm, And I think the enemy does a ton of things to distract you from it because he knows what would happen if all of these people stood up and Mm -hmm. actually took you know, dove into my word and and really began to believe what it says. I mean, and so he's going to throw things at you and and you're going to have distractions and, but it is so worth it. I think also as believers, we feel this pressure that good Christians read their Bible. So even though we're well-intentioned, we just read it to fill a quota that affirms Mm -hmm. our lifestyle as a Christian and enables us to check the boxes done. And we feel better about ourselves having fulfilled our duty. And yeah, we don't take it further because it's not the easiest book to read. There are some passages that you can get to that feels kind of like walking through mud. So that's what, (laughs) so that's when you want to talk it off to all the other people. Yeah. Right. This is a forming. Yeah. If you do that, you miss the truth that through the very words in the Bible, you experience Jesus. I mean, they're God-breathed, and when you read them, you breathe in the breath of life. I think a lot of times we're content with a second hand because we do have so many good teachers in our lives. There are so many things to listen to. I was, my youngest daughter loves makeup, loves makeup. So I will either buy something that I don't like or not end up using it or whatever. And so I'll kind of give it to her. And so the other day we were kind of doing our makeup together. She sits up on the counter and I, you know, I'm standing there and we're putting on makeup together and I gave her something I didn't like. And she just very casually, she was looking in the mirror. She goes, or I could have my own. (laughs) (laughs) And it made me laugh. It made me chuckle because I thought it was so precious that she wants something that's new to her. Mm. She wants something that's specific to her. Her. Yes. She doesn't yes. want this to be passed down. From, and I and there was an a, there was a maturity mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Like she was very content getting my old stuff for a while. Yes. And then all of a sudden she had a bigger desire. Yes. Don't you think it yes. starts with that 
there's a hunger? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we can be a follower of Jesus, but we can end up worshiping a God that I'm not sure that we really know mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. not completely committed mm-hmm. to his word. So mm-hmm. what are the things that work for you? How does it look? Okay. I feel like I have two answers to this question. Okay. So I love it. Um, I want both. Okay. And thinking of where to start, I love the verses in Proverbs too, because it says, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, Mm -hmm. then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You do have to be invested. There are some strong verbs in there, and it has to be intentional. But I have two different times in the Word, and I want to say that it's not perfect and that not every yeah. day I don't have a hallelujah moment yeah, with the Lord. You know, in some that. days it doesn't get done, even though I want it to get done. I just want to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. there is no perfect formula or solution for it. And I, in those times where I don't feel like getting into the word, I ask the Lord, give me a desire to get in your word. And I find that if I start, then I can't stop. So hmm. I have soaking times in the word And I have study times in the Word. So soaking, I usually love to go to the New Living Translation, and I'll just read it. And I read it, and I always start by asking the Holy Spirit, you know, just highlight what you want me to know in this time. And so I'll read, and sometimes I'll read, and I'll read, and I'll read. But then something happens where it's like God breathes on a passage in it comes alive to you. So I usually sit there for a minute and say, okay, God, what are you wanting to say to me in this? And sometimes it's that I need to journal and pray and repent because he's, there's been conviction. Sometimes it's praise that I need to open up a journal and praise back what I've read. Um, Sometimes I just need to talk to him about it a little bit more. And, and what does this mean? But I, I think of it like, a raisin, and I said this at, at UR, so I'm just going to repeat it. It's a raisin is sweet, and you can take a raisin, and you can eat it, and then that's that. But you can also take a raisin, and you can set it on your tongue, and you can leave it there for a couple of minutes, and then eventually the raisin's going to rehydrate hmm. because of the moisture in your mouth and become more plump, and then when you bite into it, it's even sweeter. Hmm. And that's what I think about when I think about meditating on a passage. You don't read it quickly and move on, because it was sweet in the first reading, but you read it, and you and you sit on it, mm-hmm. and you camp on it, and you really think about it for a long while, and you dialogue with the yeah. Lord back and forth You were describing um, something that in Catholicism is called Lectio Divina. I don't know if that's... Um, in other denominations as well, but it's this idea of reading and then listening and then yes. praying on something that yes. the Lord ha- and meditating, contemplating on something mm-hmm. that the Lord has highlighted for you within that scripture. And you can choose the scripture randomly, or it can be something you decide to read, but you sit with it. You yeah. let the Holy Spirit yeah. raise something and then you meditate on just yeah. that. And sometimes it, the Holy Spirit highlights it quickly, doesn't he? And sometimes mm-hmm. he, he doesn't. You're kind of mm-hmm. wondering, are you going to speak to me today? Mm-hmm. But you just keep going. And mm-hmm. I know if you just keep going, that that will yeah. that will happen. So that's kind of my soaking. But I have study. And this is what I'm really passionate about. Because when I first returned to the Lord and I got into these Bible studies, I remember 
feeling frustrated that I would hear a teacher speak and she would spout all this wisdom. And I would think, wow, we read the same exact passage mm-hmm. and I didn't get that out mm-hmm. of it, but I believe that this is written for me. So why am I not getting the same level of knowledge that she is? And, and then I, and then, Lord, I want to, because I want to be so close to you that you speak to me, you know, because I trust that you want to speak to me, mm-hmm. that you want to reveal your truth to me. So why am I not? So again, spent, not just like I'm ill-equipped. You only speak to certain people. This is easy for again. I right. think that that way of thinking can really infiltrate a lot of our good desires. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, that. no. And so, that's when he led me to a method called inductive Bible study. And so with that, when I use inductive Bible study, when I studied, basically it's good study skills. I did not have good study skills as a student. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I laugh and think, look at you, God, when people tell me, oh, that was wise or, oh, because I don't have wisdom. Wisdom is not really a spiritual gift of mine. I know people who can read scripture and all of a sudden wisdom comes out. I don't read a scripture and get it. I have to read it and read it. Yeah. (laughs) And and I think some of that, if you want to talk about spiritual gifts, that could be more knowledge. And then he transfers it into wisdom. Anyway, Uh uh I don't know. I read it and read it and read it. And I have all these skills of the first time you read it, um, highlight the author in one color and then write everything you learn about the author. And then the second time you read it, highlight the recipients in one color and list everything you write about, you learn about the recipients. Wow. Now read it and highlight everything about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and make a list of everything you learn. So this is the method. So I have my Bibles are, you know, my daughters will look at them and go, why did you draw on your pages? And I'm like, well, it doesn't, it looks like you just have a bunch of stuff shoved in there, but it was a layering of something that I did mm-hmm. every time I read it that that is what, that's when I think about the Proverbs. If you dig for it, if you search for it as for treasure, I mean, I know that I can't read a passage and ha- and be able to teach on it. I mean, yeah. I have to dig in it. Yeah. And so inductive Bible study is very much, which has really, has impacted my life more than almost anything else. That's so good. Okay, so Beefy, quick, um, I think that Beefy and I were um, chuckling slash lamenting before you got here. Like, what a shame that we're going to invite this guest onto the show and we are absolutely just going to be sitting and learning and not facilitating at all. I wish people could understand that the reason why I'm silent is that my chin is in my hand and my eyes are just like giant and I'm just like hanging on every word that's coming out of Meredith's mouth. So I think, so I want you and me, Beefy, to talk about some hindrances because I think that they're pretty, like we are experiencing hindrances to... But I think the very first thing we need to do, like step one, is recognizing the value of it. We mm, have right. to understand the value of it. And then we need to be really honest with ourselves about how much we're reading our Bible. Mm, yeah, like getting right, super right. painfully honest that it's really not near enough. Beefy, what are some hindrances for you? Like, what are some things that are keeping you from doing all of these things that sound so glorious? I mean, every single thing it's like I mean we just talked about that we have a hunger to do this and the truth is I don't Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. I want to Mm -hmm. and that like 
wildly humbling, uncomfortable thing. Like, I knew that we were going to do a podcast today, but I didn't know what the subject was until a hot second ago. Thank you very much, Beefy. <laughs> and I literally... This is how much I believe in her. Yeah, you're so I gifted, Beefy. legit started seeing stars and walked out of the room um, because I feel so ill-equipped, but I don't think there's any mistake of, you know, that... that mm being exactly how I'm supposed to be feeling right now because I've been in a million Bible studies. I've been on the staff of a church. I've, um, you know, so many times it's come up that this is where I need to do my work. Mm. I say it all the time. I say Mm -hmm. it humbly. I say it around people that embarrasses me to say it around, and now I'm saying it to a whole lot of strangers. (laughs) Um, That are saying me too. Yes, Yes, absolutely. I'm literally tearing up right now. It's just, it's horribly embarrassing, and it's like, in every other area of my life, like, I will figure out how to not feel this way, but Mm. there's something about this. So right now, my um, church is doing a quarantine Bible study, and so we are reading heavy air quotes because I'm not, the Bible um, this <laughs> summer, and I said a million times, if there was ever a time to read my Bible, mm. it is in mm. this mm. moment mm. for mm. all the reasons, and I have some, I have yeah. some, um, we've been learning about different resources, that it's not just, you know, my, my vision of reading the Bible is always snuggling up with it in the evening after I put my kids to bed, and that's just not realistic for me, like, I'm done at oh, that point yeah. in the day. Yeah, right. Um, so we talk about, you know, I've been taking my quarantine walks with earbuds. That was the most successful, you know, two weeks that I had. Um, But we also have a thing at our church that we plug into called Right Now Media, and they have Mm. little videos on each book. And that was really helpful to do all of those things. And then, of course, the Sunday sermon. Um, But what is so interesting and leads me to know how important this is, is how much I say I long to do this, how I can establish, Establish a teensy-weensy habit that feels so good, and yet how quickly I can fall away from it. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing else in my life like that. Yeah. And so I'm just to sitting me, with that right now. I'm yeah. Just, it's not to me, that feels like such evidence of an enemy. Right. You know? Yes. Because That's exactly right. It is. Um, I agree that there can be a lot of, I don't feel like it. You know, that's in, incorporated because not every single time. I mean, being committed to something that doesn't immediately show results right. yeah. is, there's always going to be a good reason to, to eke your way out of that responsibility. Um, but I agree with you that, especially right now, with so much on our shoulders, um, I am yearning mm-hmm. for guidance and for wisdom. <laughs> And for strength. I mean, just to get through the day sane, I am yearning for that. And so why is this the last place I turn? Now, I will say that my my prayer life has Mm -hmm. intensified in some some ways. Um, And I have been reading more. It's just not scripture. Right. I definitely, I think we all do that. Like, you just have these, like, I'm praying more. I feel really connected to the Spirit. I'm serving more. Like, I am doing some really good Mm -hmm. Jesus-y things. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time to do all the juicy things. Right. So I'm doing these, and that, you know, mm-hmm. I obviously I don't believe that that's enough, but I think that's how we just keep not doing it. Yeah, because it's good it. enough. Right. And, I, you know, we know that we were made to worship, and if you're not worshiping God, then you're worshiping something else. Right. And mm-hmm. so in that way, there is something that's taking the place. I'm not saying I'm not worshiping God, but I'm certainly not reading Scripture. So I think that there's a similarity there's a comparison there of, well, I'm not reading scripture. What am I reading? I'll tell you exactly what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. It's social media. Right, right. Seriously? Right. I'm going to social media to sustain me right now? I know. Right. Holy. You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. So what's that. your advice to us, Meredith? You just heard from two um, 
I mean, people who are sold out for Jesus yes. and yet cannot get this together. I'm laughing that you'd even ask me because I'm thinking <laughs> I'm at home right now with a husband working from home and four kids. And so life, as beautiful as it is, it's beautiful chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm really struggling to find just a spot to go in or, mm-hmm. or how to do this for myself. I think I would say that the most important thing one of the most important things to do is just to make it a routine mm. of what you do. And that means find a place, have it be the same place and the same mm-hmm. time as much as you can. Is mm-hmm. it always going to happen? Absolutely With some not. forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you have a routine, the more you schedule it as a part of your day, then you're able to do it. And sometimes some people might say, well, I don't want to schedule a time with God because that doesn't feel, Mm -hmm. you know, spiritual. That feels more obligatory. And I think sometimes when you get in there and you just start, then he just picks it up. I mean, he doesn't want much from us, right? He just wants us to come and spend time with him. And I think he's just pleased whenever we set aside the time with him. But isn't that a Christian tendency to make something a bigger check mark yes. on your to-do list? Yes, because mm-hmm. we don't and understand that God is a good God and he loves us, that we don't have to perform. We don't have to do a checklist of things to get that feeling of being in his presence. That's right. That he is willing. It says in scripture, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all you have to do. Yeah. Draw near to God. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Sometimes that might be draw near to God and you don't have your Bible with you. Yeah. And you're just yeah. praying Him, praying with him and talking to him and listening to him. Sometimes it means that you're soaking. Sometimes it means you're studying. But mm-hmm. routine. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, the desire, just the desire to please him pleases him. Yes. Yes. And be realistic with the circumstances of, of your life right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just talked about this inductive Bible study method that I learned. But I want to emphasize the word, I learned it. I mean, it took <laughs> a long time. That didn't take, yeah. I mean, I started about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's been messy and it's been imperfect. So it's not like you just have to have realistic expectations for what you can do in this time. Thank you for saying that because I feel like you're letting me off the hook that I'm not supposed to know um, today how to do <laughs> it as well as you do. You know, that this is yeah. something that you have to practice and develop and learn how to do well. Yeah. Because being overwhelmed is a huge hindrance. It is. I feel overwhelmed it by is. that. It is. So part of maybe being realistic is starting small. Yeah, and I think you think about that raisin. You just take the raisin and put it in your mouth, and you just let it sit there for a while and let it mm-hmm. soak up. And so I think about that with the Word. You know, take a journal and take your Bible and read and ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me. And then when something breathes across the page, just journal about it and just mm-hmm. talk back mm-hmm. with Him. And, and then just relax because there are no formulas. And God mm. is not a God that is peering down at us, Mm -hmm. waiting to see if we're going to do something well enough that he's going to, that's going to warrant the attention that he would give us. Mm -hmm. And there's a phrase that has changed my life. You know, in the Bible, when it says, um, like you probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. Yes. For a long time, I heard that in my voice of your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. So I read that with condemnation, but yeah. I reread it lately with the voice of God saying, 
you know, um, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I thought, oh, more he's so cheering sweet. you on. Like he's saying, <laughs> I see that your spirit is willing. I see that you have that desire in you. And it says you, your your faith only needs to be as little as a mustard seed. Your mm. effort, he, he is there. The, the God that created this world is there with open arms just longing his creation to come to him. So you don't have to look a certain way when you do it. You don't have to say certain things when you do it. You don't, you know, you just need to come to him. And he's there, and he just is so delights. I think he just delights in any attention you yeah. give him, you know, because, really I mean, who really is more worthy of yeah. our attention? Yeah. And so... It's intentionality with silencing the voice of the enemy. It's intentionality with making this a decision to get in the word, even if you don't feel like it. It's an intentionality of praise, even when you're upset. In Hebrews, it says that we offer him a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes our praise is a sacrifice. We don't feel like doing it, mm. but we do it. And then when we do it, he changes our heart and it becomes oh, beautiful. So. You are so beautiful to me as you just like speak his words. Like uh-huh. the, his word is uh-huh. so powerful. Mm. I don't know if you know this, Meredith. I think it's the teacher in you, but the three points that you gave us all start with an R. Well, yeah. Isn't every good sermon supposed to be three points to them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's something. <laughs> in alliteration. So we have routine, realistic, and relaxing. I love it. That's Those are really good things to like put in our pockets. Thank you so much. Okay, so I have to know, what's God doing with you lately through the Word? Well, what God... Actually, God has reawakened a dream that I have. I am entering into, or I guess I've actually already entered into, a season that feels very different um, to me. It's, I'm reading a book and it's called The Sacred Slow. And I think Mm. that's where I am. I'm learning how to rest and how to sit with him. Because I'm I'm really used to doing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tied to a part of me that feels like I do things for God so he will be pleased with me when we know that's not true. And I feel like he's saying, just sit and be with me. And so I'm entering into this season of learning. You know, I think it's a season of he wants to take my roots deeper in him because he's unearthed a dream that I've had. And I feel like he's saying, let's establish the roots and have this intimate time with me. And from that time, I'm going to grow something new. So I guess maybe there will be a new bud, Lord willing, you know. (laughs) And so I, it has always been my passion to teach others how to study the word inductively. Because so many people say, as you said, I know the word is important. I know that it is life. I know that through it, I encounter and experience Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me to read it, but how? You know, how? And so that really is my dream to, as best as I can, by the grace of God, to do something that really takes people through the process that I learned of how of how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so in this time, I'm just kind of asking the Lord, what, what would that look like? What, what do you want this to be? How do you want this to work? Especially in this time of not gathering, you know, how, mm-hmm. how does this happen? And I feel like he's just giving me the very next step. Like I don't even see the picture, but I know the next step is to sit with him and to really practice listening to him. And so having taught for community Bible study for so many years, even when I was in the word and even though it was rich 
I was always studying and learning what the God what God had for me, but also to give to someone else. Right. And I think he's saying, be in the word because he wants to give to me. Be a recipient. In this season. Wow. And so with that, I think again, it's just he wants to drop my roots a little bit deeper in him. Mm-hmm. And I'm praying and believing that as I'm faithful in that, not perfect, but as I'm faithful in that, that he will birth whatever it is that he wants to birth through it. But my dream is to somehow teach others how to get in the word. Because you all said it, in this day and age, you have to know the word. Because there are so many blurred lines out there. There are so many truths being spoken that if you, you know, I think about the wise man who built his house on the the rock and the um foolish man who built his house on the sand. Well, so many of us, if we don't know truth, we're building our houses on the sand and the storms are coming and what's going to happen, our houses are going to collapse. But if we can get the rock of the word and build our houses on the word that when the storms come, it it remains standing. And so that's what I feel like I want to equip by God's grace only people to build their house on the rock. And you have got to know the word to do that. Girl, I'm so affirming. It's so sweet. I am. I mean, I don't want to claim the title of your biggest fan because (laughs) that feels presumptuous. Because I'm sure your husband likes you a lot. (laughs) But oh my gosh, I am just rooting for you and cheering for you. And I feel like all of your knowledge and all of your passion and I'm gonna go ahead and say wisdom um, is coupled with such an earnest love for women you love people so well your friendship has carried me through a lot and I gosh what a combo and what a blessing you are to the people you love I'm honored and humbled that you would say that and you don't know that before you even knew me at UR I was kind of stalking you because I already (laughs) wanted to know you I knew who you were because we had a lot of mutual friends and, you know, I knew of you, and I just knew that you were someone that I wanted to get to know. So, Isn't he faithful? Isn't yeah. he faithful and good? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary. Oh, it's such a promise to be a return guest. When your when your Bible study comes out? Yes. When, you, when your Bible study about Bible study comes out? <laughs> I'm sorry. Should I take that back? Should I edit that? <laughs> no. I don't know. Maybe I, mean, I don't know what it's going to look like. But, yeah, I would love to. I have about five podcasts in mind, so... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Perfect. Until I, I next time. Your podcast. <laughs> yes. Love you, girl. Love you too. Dear God, what a gift it is that you have given us your unchanging word, not just to know, but to also understand well enough to use in our lives. Wonder of all wonders. God, can you open our eyes to wonder? God, can you teach us what we cannot understand on our own? God, can you help us to know and enjoy Jesus? And can you give us the courage to be doers in all of these things in their entirety through the daily prompt to study and interpret and fully receive the word of God? We ask all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And for this episode, a special thank you to Meredith Perryman. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Sinner Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Sinner Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on Patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at SinnerSaintSister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.